and across the world tuned in to see the 89th Academy Awards, better known as the Oscars. Now, normally, I am not a fan of these kind of award shows. But the Oscars, they got my interest this year because of the widely reported mess-up that occurred during the show. Everything was going to plan. Uh, award was after award was being given as actor and director went up. And, and as per usual, the, uh, uh, the anticipation was building. Uh, toward the end of the night when the really important award, the biggest award of the night would be given. Who was going to win best film of the year? And eventually it came round and the red envelope was opened and there was a, a slightly longer pause as usual and finally the announcer said La La Land has won best film of the year and so the director for La La Land and the whole crew uh, and some of the main actors, they all got up on stage and they received their Oscar trophies and, and the director started giving his Thanksgiving speech and about a minute into it, suddenly people saw this commotion going on behind him. Uh, black guys with walkie-talkies were filling the stage with red faces and having these difficult conversations and eventually the director of La La Land, who had been giving his Thanksgiving speech, he turns back to the mic and he tells all in the audience and millions watching there's been a mistake. We didn't win. Moonlight won best film of the year. And right there and then, all of the guys of the La La Land crew, they had to give across the Oscars that they thought were theirs and pass them to the crew of Moonlight, the true winners of the night. There was no time to try and sugarcoat it. It was live TV. Even Jimmy Kimmel, who was presenting the award show, he's very good with his words normally, he just didn't know what to say. And the Oscars and those responsible, they took a real hit that night for such a spectacular mistake. But everyone on that stage knew that the most important thing in that moment, no matter what the consequences might be, was to give the recognition to those who truly deserved it. And so there and then, the mistake was confessed. The true winners got the glory that night. You see, it seems still, in, in some societies at least, we care deeply about giving credit to those who deserve it and not giving it to those who don't. And that idea that ties in with the final solar that we're looking at this morning, solideo gloria, to God alone, to God above all, be glory. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at the five solas of the Protestant Reformation, these five foundational truths from Scripture that express how God alone has worked to save us back to himself. And now we've come finally to number five, the final one. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. God alone deserves our ultimate worship and praise in all things for who he is and for what he has done. And Paul expressed it for us this way as we read in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. 
For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. And Paul makes it clear here, God deserves all the glory, all the praise, all the worship above all for all that he alone has done. We're going to look at this really fundamental truth under two big headings. God ultimately deserves the glory because firstly, he alone is our creator. He alone is our creator. And then secondly, because he alone is our redeemer. Let's start with that first one. God gets all the glory because he alone is our creator. Now, Josiah, my son, myself, we've been having a a rather repetitive conversation over the last few months. It, It always starts with with a simple question. It's the same kind of question every time. He says to me, Daddy, who made the, and fill in the blank, who made the car? Who made our house? Who made, and so on and so on. And in response, I would try to accurately describe to him in a way that he can understand who might have been involved in making those things. So we drive a Mitsubishi ASX, so I tell Josiah, um, some engineers and workers who work for Mitsubishi, they built the car, they made the car. Who made, who made the house? Well, yes, some developers in KL and builders all got together and, and they built our house. And I know what's coming next as the adorable pastor's son that he is. He says straight back at me, but daddy, God made everything, right? God made the car. God made the house. Now, it's very cute. And whilst it's not very nuanced, Josiah is actually expressing a fundamental truth that we can be quick to forget at times. That God is, first and foremost, the creator of all things. None of us can make anything out of anything other than that which he has made. God alone brought all things, matter, energy, time, space, all things into existence, into reality as we know it. And of course, that includes you and me. You know, none of us decided to be born. We didn't call up the hospital and make a reservation. No, we were just born. And we had little say in that whatsoever. That was true of every generation before us, back to the very beginning. We are God's creatures. We owe him our very existence. We are made by him in his image for the most awesome purpose, to reflect something of his glory, of his glorious character. God made us and gave us this creation above all to glorify him, uh, to be known by him and as his stewards to reflect his wonder and glory to the rest of his creation as we rule over it under his good authority. You see what is sung around God's throne in Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And yet we know, don't we, that many do not sing this song with their lives today. Uh, Humanity as a whole, well, we do not 
instinctively desire to live according to this fundamental purpose for which we were made to worship God and to honor and enjoy Him and glorify Him with all that we are. We do make the most of this creation He's given us, even though it is fallen under the curse of sin. But as those who have embraced that curse, we, we don't relate to God rightly in our own strength. And His image supposed to reflect His glory, it has been marred by our sin. Now, Paul brings us to terms with this tragic reality in Romans 1.21, and he doesn't pull any punches when he writes, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Humanity for the most now lives under the lie of sin. Oh, we were made to worship God. We were made to worship Him who is outside of us. And so, because that's hardwired in us, we still instinctively worship things. But in our sin, we don't worship Him. No, we exchange Him. We dethrone Him, and we live for anything but Him. And I've seen that in my life, again and again. I've seen myself living ultimately for the recognition and praise of others. I've, I've sought my worth in what others think of me. And so I felt so insecure when I don't receive the kind of admiration that I long for. I know I've lived for the wealth and the pleasures that this world, this creation has to offer. And I've convinced myself I will not be at peace as a human being until I've got that amount of cash in my bank account or until I've got that new house or that new car or that new something. There's just two ways in which I know in my heart I've denied God as my God and I've worshipped other things apart from Him. I've sought my security and my contentment away from Him. And these are common idols that our world is enslaved to and obsessed in. They rob God of the honor and the glory that He is due from us, His creation. They cause great pain to ourselves and to others around us. But the very worst result of our idolatry is ultimately the penalty we face in the end for it. The fear of being separated from the God that we were made to know and enjoy and find our meaning and rest in being separated from Him for all eternity. You know, better to lose an arm or a leg, Jesus said, than to face that and go into hell. God in His justice has said that is the price for denying Him His rightful place in our lives as His creation, and yet we rejoice that God has shown forth His glory, not just in His righteous judgment, but also in His awesome mercy. To God alone be glory, for He alone is our Redeemer. This brings us back to the previous four solas that we've been looking at. Give us a quick recap if we haven't been here, or we've forgotten over the past few weeks, but we've seen again and again that our salvation from sin our reconciliation back to God that we might know Him and enjoy Him rightly, it is all a matter of His grace. It is His work from start to finish. And so we started with God's grace, His undeserved favor to us alone. 
We saw how tragically we are effectively dead in sin. We are incapacitated by it. We cannot free ourselves from that addiction to rebel against God. But God has done what we could not do. He has worked to bring us back to himself, to break that addiction. That was his decision from the very beginning, setting aside sinners for himself who would know his undeserved favor. And so we are saved by his grace alone, which becomes effective for us individually as sinners as we receive it by faith. Faith alone. Not a matter of works, not a matter of pull your socks up and get on with it and do what you can to please him. Nothing that we achieve, nothing that we can boast in, we are saved through faith alone. Just God bringing us to a complete dependence on His Son, our Lord Jesus. The third solar, we are saved in Christ alone. For He alone has done what is necessary. He lived that life to the glory of His Father, what we have failed to do in our sin. And then He went to the cross willingly, in loving submission, and died that we might be spared the penalty we deserve so that in Him our our every transgression, our every moment of willful idolatry against God, it can be dealt with in Christ. And we escape what we deserve for it. We look forward now not to the judgment that we deserve, but to His inheritance. Life with God by His Spirit now and one day life with him in every way, in his rest. And how have we been brought to that saving knowledge in Christ? By the gospel, which of course we receive in God's word, the Holy Scriptures. Not human wisdom, but the very words breathed out by him, inspired by his Spirit, and so written through men. Not one word of the Lord came about from the mind of man, rather men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So from that all too brief summary, again, I hope we see that salvation from start to finish is the work of God, is a matter of His grace. And so it is right that it is all His work. He gets the glory. He gets all of it. We dare not seek to take any credit for it as those who have been redeemed by nothing but His grace to us in Christ. We dare not boast in it. In fact, we dare not pretend that our salvation is actually the ultimate point of the gospel. It is the best news in the world for us, friends, but it is not the ultimate goal for which Christ died. See what we read in Ephesians 2, 4-6, speaking of our salvation, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The gospel is not ultimately about us. Because in Christ, God has done more than simply just reconcile individual sinners like us to himself. 
No, in Christ, he has inaugurated through his death and his resurrection, him conquering sin and death in his own body, he's inaugurated a new age to come. The coming ages, as Paul says here in verse 7, in which we have the promise that all things will be restored under Christ and so to the glory of his Father. And we, for all eternity, as those saved by his blood, will be gathered in his presence to be living testimonies of his awesome grace. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God brought about our salvation by his grace, but ultimately for his glory. To show forth to his creation how awesome he is. Now, I wonder how that makes you feel this morning. That the chief end of the gospel is not our salvation. Thank God it is about our salvation, but it's not the chief goal. The chief goal is that God be glorified. And maybe we're wondering look, is that right? Can God really do that? Can he, can he seek his glory above every other concern, even the salvation of sinners? You know, we normally disdain self-seeking behavior when we see it in others, don't we? My lovely sister-in-law, Joanne, she has a favorite fa- phrase that she uses whenever she hears me speaking a little bit too proudly about my own achievements. And she says to me, Tim, remember, self-praise is no praise. Self-praise is no praise. And you know, when it comes to me making a big deal about me, that is perfectly appropriate. Because I wasn't created to glorify me, to find my true purpose in telling the world, look at me, I'm great. Look at how great I am. No, I've been created by God. I've been redeemed by nothing but His grace in order to show our world how great He is. So for us, yes, self-praise is wrong. But for God, self-praise is the only appropriate pursuit. Who could God otherwise give praise to? Giving praise and glory to any other would mean He would no longer be God. At the very beginning, when everything was declared good, God was at the center of it all worshipped and enjoyed by his creation in every way. Yes, it's right that God does ultimately get all the glory. And even then, we see his glory ultimately expressed in the selfless love of his own character, of his own being, at the very heart of the gospel. As God the Son willingly lays down his life for the sake of his Father's name. As God the Father exalts His Son to the highest place evermore to reign. As God the Spirit glorifies both Father and Son by bringing us to repentance and faith for their glory. See, God's glory is still seen ultimately in His character of perfect, selfless love. That great love from which we have benefited so greatly. So God alone deserves to be at the center for who he is and what he's done. And it's the lie of our world that says, no, I deserve to be in that place. 
I will live for me as number one. And it is a lie that will never satisfy friends. We were made to know and enjoy God above all. C.S. Lewis puts it beautifully when he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. We were made for him like a fish out of water. Even if the fish thinks it's better off out of the water, well, like a fish out of water, we will never truly know life outside of life under God. And so two responses for us to bear in mind this morning. Firstly, don't be a rival to God's glory. God will not tolerate rivals to him forever. So we had in our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. God alone is our creator and our redeemer. God alone is above all, is worthy of our adoration. And we know all of us have fallen short of the mark. We, we have robbed God of the glory he is due in the way in which we've thought and spoken and lived. I wonder if you're not a Christian here this morning. Welcome, it is great to have you with us. Glad that you are here. But let me be clear that here we at SMAC, who believe on Christ's name, we don't believe for a minute that we can, in our own efforts, bring ourselves back into right relationship with God. Now we've seen again and again through this series of the five solas, salvation is nothing but a gift. We can never earn it. We simply receive it through dependence on Christ as our Savior and our King. The one who alone has done what is necessary. Our every sin cleansed by his blood, our every need met in his love. But if we persist in denying him and the salvation he offers, if we persist on seeking our own glory away from him and away from God as rivals to him, well then, friends, we do risk being put out of his glorious rest forever. Nothing is worth that. Don't be that fool. Bow the knee to Christ. There is no lasting peace apart from him. And secondly, as those who have trusted on Christ, been redeemed by his blood, well, our response now is to give God what he is due as his people. The glory in all things. You see, soli deo gloria, back in the Reformation, it was a chief concern for the Reformers because of this common belief that life is divided into two distinct areas. There is the sacred and the secular. And the church of the day, they taught basically, look, you can glorify and honor God and please God in your sacred life like attending church or receiving the mass or saying your prayers or confessing your sins or doing other what would seem to be very religious things. But you can't please him in your secular life, your job in the world, your time with your family or your friends. And so the really zealous churchgoers, they, they became monks. They became nuns. They walled themselves off from their own societies to spend life as they saw it exclusively for God. And yet, see what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, God didn't redeem parts of our lives 
for his glory. He redeemed it all. He deserves it all. And we mustn't fall into this trap at smack of thinking it's okay as Christians to behave one way on a Sunday, praising God's name, and to be completely devoid of praise in our life, in our behavior, in our words, for the rest of the working week. Our first desire in all things is to rejoice in and love our Lord and serve His gospel, living as the salt and light to our world He's given us to be, that others might see Christ in our lives as well as hear of Him from our lips. And friends, as we do that, as we submit ourselves to God and seek His glory above all, as we leave that former life of sin behind, well, so our joy in God will grow as well. We will realize, away from the lie of sin more and more, how He alone does satisfy our deepest needs. Let me share with you one striking example of this God-centered joy which I saw in the life of one of our own SMAC members recently, and she's given me permission to share this with all of you. Uh, For the past few months, this sister has been facing a very very difficult trial in her workplace. Another worker has been acting maliciously against her to put her down and misrepresent her and her work before her superiors and three other employees had already left her company because of this man's horrible tactics. And now she is his target. And her boss sadly isn't interested in listening to her side of the story because this other man has far more influence over the situation. And so this is what our sister wrote to her growth group when they asked her how things were going. She wrote this. It's okay. I was calm. I got no bonus and put on a performance improvement plan for three months. I came home from work to take it all in and reflect on what God wants for me. My colleagues are sending me messages saying they all know this is someone else's game. It's still hard to salt swallow though, and I'm trying to say less of me and more of God. Less of me and more of God. And here is a lady who's been slandered, mistreated, and denied the recognition she's due for her work. And her response is less of me and more of God. She's not taking matters into her own hands, even though it's tempting. She's not retaliating by sinful means. No, she is following in the footsteps of her Lord, whom she loves, who gave his life for us, his enemies, that we might be reconciled to God in every way. She longs to be more like him, to entrust herself to him who is her joy above all. It's a real encouragement for us today to face our own daily circumstances with the deepest desire for God's glory and for God to be honored in every situation. And that doesn't come naturally for us, friends. It will only grow as we see how richly blessed we are in Christ, as we allow His words to sink down deep into our hearts and encourage one another in them, that we might rejoice in Him and him above all. We've come to the end of our five solar series, and throughout we've seen how God is due all the glory, all the recognition, the praise above all, because he alone has worked. 
He alone has saved us by His grace. He alone has granted us faith to believe on His Son through the preaching of His Word to the glory of His name. And so now we respond in the power of that grace, surrendering our lives in thanksgiving and praise and joy, rejoicing in Him, knowing that one day we are heading for that glory. We are heading to the place where we will share in His glory in every way, in His awesome presence, where the sin and the pain and the disappointment and the death that we know only too well in this world today will be no more. So friends, this coming week, let's live for that day. And can I invite you to stand? And we are going to sing together, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory.